Welcome to the Small Hours Podcast. My name's Al Gavada. Thank you very much for joining us. And I'll tell you what, man, we got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. And we've got a great track from a South Texas artist. It's an avant-garde metal. I'll tell you all about it in just a bit. We're going to be kicking it off right now with some movie news. Fueled by families hungry for kid-friendly fare, Sony's Hotel Transylvania 2 took the top spot in North America with a debut of $47.5 million, not accounting for inflation, making it the biggest September opening of all time. Time. Transylvania 2, playing at uh, over 3,700 locations, opened higher than Hotel Transylvania, the previous record holder for top September opening with uh, $42.5 million. In the U.S., Transylvania 2, voiced by Adam Sandler, Andy Samberg, Selena Gomez, Kevin James, Keegan-Michael Key, earned a promising A-minus cinema score. The other high-profile title on the foreign circuit this weekend was Warner Brothers' big movie, Pan, the Peter Pan origin story, opened in Australia two weeks ahead of its North American launch in order to take advantage of school holidays, earning $1.5 million. The Intern came in uh, at number two with a very strong opening for the Anne Hathaway Robert De Niro movie with $18.2 million in just over 3,300 theaters. That's a solid swing for the filmmakers and Warner Brothers considering it's targeting older adults, like we said uh, last week, who don't usually rush out on opening weekends but tend to deliver in the long run. The Intern, of course, stars Hathaway as a young executive who hires an older man to be her intern. Skewed female is expected, 62% in North America, while 55% of the audience was over the age of 50. Like Hotel Transylvania 2, the movie earned an A- cinema score. Elsewhere, Everest came in behind expectations in North America with $13.1 million in a little over 3,000 theaters as it expanded nationwide after a limited 3D engagement last weekend in IMAX and premium large format theaters that actually gave people the expectations of a very good opening considering its success in those formats. The film's 10-day domestic total stands at $23.1 million. Also opening this weekend was Eli Roth's The Green Inferno, the horror movie. Roth's first directorial effort in eight years grossed a mere $3.5 million coming in at number 9 versus the $4 million to $5 million range they were hoping for. Placing number 3 was Maze Runner, Scorch Trials. The sequel is pacing somewhat behind the first installment. Internationally, however, it zoomed past the $100 million mark for a foreign total of $121.8 million and a global cum of $173.5 million. Johnny Depp's Black Mass rounding out the top 5 with uh, $11.5 million for a 10-day total of about point. $6 million. It did see a far bigger drop than similar titles like The Town and The Departed. In at number six, The Visit still holding strong with $6.7 million. The Perfect Guy at number seven, War Room doing well at number eight, $4.3 million. And in at number 10, Sicario in limited release right now, still scoring $1.8 million. Opening up this weekend, we've got The Martian. During a manned mission to Mars, astronaut Mark Watney is presumed dead after a fierce storm and left behind by a crew. Thanks, guys. But he survived and finds himself stranded and alone on the hostile planet. With only meager supplies, he must draw upon his ingenuity, wit, and spirit to find a way to signal to Earth that he is alive. It is directed by Ridley Scott, starring Matt Damon, Jessica Chastain, Kristen Wiig, and Kate Mara. The buzz, Matt Damon's charm and wit has aged well, so we trust he'll handle things on the set that serves as Mars. His crew looks more than capable to plot a successful mutiny against NASA, though here's hoping Kristen and Wig has more to do than just hold her hands to her face and look worried. She's a good actress. Let's see how it plays out. Also, opening up, and I saw these previews, they look pretty cool. The Walk. 
That's going to be opening up on IMAX only as I'm recording this today. And uh, wide over the weekend, coming in a little over two hours, in 1974, high-wire artist Philippe Pettit recruits a team of people to help him realize his dream to walk the immense void between the World Trade Center towers. It is directed by Robert Zemeckis, so you know the effects are going to be awesome, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Charlotte LeBron, and Ben Kingsley. The buzz this release week is uh, interesting because it features two releases that are based on Oscar-winning documentaries. James Marsh, Blended Recreations, and Factual Accounts of Philip Pettit's High Wire Walk to great effect on his documentary, Man on Wire. And now Robert Zemeckis brings a photorealistic touch to the story that finds Joseph Gordon-Levitt trying out a French accent. And from what I understand, the effects are going to make you feel pretty dizzy and grabbing onto the armrest or whatever you're holding on at the time while watching the movie. Also opening up uh, nationwide this weekend is Sicario. Great reviews so far. It has an 82 out of 100 Metascore out of 30 reviews. So hopefully it'll play out for Benicio del Toro and Emily Blunt. It's running in at a, about two hours as well and is rated R. From CosmicBookNews.com, during a Q&A session while promoting the Avengers 2 Blu-ray, Marvel Studios president and producer Kevin Feige tackled the subject of a new Spider-Man who will be 15 years old in the films and played by Tom Holland. He said, making that agreement was great and was really amazing, and on a personal level, making these movies, it, may, it means a lot, because I think we can do great things with Spider-Man. I think Spider-Man can serve great purpose in our universe, and that's where he belongs. That was what was unique about him in the comics was not that he was the only superhero in the world. It's that he was a totally different kind of superhero when compared against all the other ones in the Marvel Universe at the time. He was also asked about Spider-Man showing up kind of quote-unquote late in the game. He said, it's not about when you show up, it's about what you do once you're there. He also noted that connecting Spider-Man to the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe isn't the top priority. He said, the most important thing as a standalone is relaunching Spider-Man in his own standalone movie with his own storylines that fits into this universe. That's job number one for us. The connectivity is great, but it doesn't drive the train. Regarding Captain America Civil War, Feige said the movie is very much Cap's story and it's very much a sequel to The Winter Soldier. Tom Holland, the new Spider-Man, will be appearing in Captain America Civil War, followed by the 2017 Spider-Man reboot. So we got that to, to look forward to. And for what I understand, Sony got the best part of the deal out of getting uh, the Spider-Man character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe since they've owned the rights since 1999. Big story this week out of People.com and all over the place, really. Matt Damon says that rumors of a romance with pal Ben Affleck in their early careers put him in the awkward position of denying he was gay. He said, When Ben and I first came on the scene, there were rumors that we were gay because it was two guys who wrote a script together. He was talking to The Guardian uh, about their work on Goodwill Hunting. I know, it's just like any piece of gossip, and it put us in a weird position of having to answer those types of questions, which was then really deeply offensive. I remember thinking and saying Rupert Everett was openly gay and this guy more handsome than anybody, a classically trained actor. It's tough to make the argument that he didn't take a hit for being out. Now, the actor's been married to Luciana, his wife, since 2005, and he told The Guardian that he welcomed same-sex marriages in California in 2008. And while attitudes are changing, it's still a challenge for actors. He said, I think it must be really hard for actors to be out publicly. But in terms of actors, I think you're a better actor the less people know about you, period. And sexuality is a bit, is a huge part of that. Whether you're straight or gay, people shouldn't know anything about your sexuality because that's one of the mysteries that you should be able to play. After some took his quotes to mean he was suggesting that gay actors should hide their sexuality, Damon went on with Ellen DeGeneres on Monday to clear up his stance. He said, look, I was talking about that actors are more effective when you know less about their personal lives 
and was talking about it in the context of when Ben and I first started and people wrote all these articles when Goodwill Hunting came out that we were gay. I was just trying to say actors are more effective when it's uh, there's a bit of a mystery and somebody picked it up and said, I'd said gay actors should get back in the closet. It's stupid, but it's painful when things get said that you don't believe and then it gets represented that that's what you believe because nobody in the blogosphere, the internet really, there's no real penalty for taking the ball and running with it. Now, when I first heard the story, I honestly didn't really think he was talking about gay actors getting back in the closet. It really did seem to me, since I did a little acting, but, you know, nothing really on film, obviously, at that level, but, like, uh, on on theater, it's very, very important to kind of do a blank slate when you're doing a character and when you're watching somebody, and I found myself doing it, if I know the actor, I kind of inject some of what I know about the actor into their performance. So I agree with what he says regarding the less you know about an actor, the more you can, at least personally, you can accept the character for what it is in that movie. So I understand exactly what uh, Matt was saying, and I honestly don't think he was coming out against uh, gay actors uh, going back into the closet. Like recently, Ellen Page came out last year, and she's out and about openly gay. What's a big deal? You know, I mean, you live your life, and if you're a good actor, you're a good actor. If you're Sucky actor, you're a sucky actor. Doesn't matter, gay, straight, or, or whatever it is. So I stand with you, Matt. Not that it matters, but there you go. <laughs> Moving on to HollywoodReporter.com. Sad news, man, from the life of uh, Jim Carrey. His 30-year-old girlfriend, Kathriona White, was found dead Monday in Sherman Oaks. She was found unresponsive by a friend. They called 911, where she was pronounced dead at the scene at about 8.40 p.m. The assistant chief coroner, Ed Winter, told the Hollywood Reporter that pills were found next to her. A suicide note was also found. According to Winter, the note is either addressed to Carey or at least references him by name. Jim Carrey did issue a statement through his publicist. He said, I'm shocked and deeply saddened by the passing of my sweet Catriona. She was a truly kind and delicate Irish flower, too sensitive for the soil, to whom loving and being loved was all that sparkled. My heart goes out to her family and friends and to everyone who loved and cared about her. We've all been hit with a lightning bolt. White and Carrie had begun dating back in 2012 but broke up shortly thereafter. The couple was seen together again in May, reportedly attempting a reconciliation. She uh, recently posted her last tweet on September 24th in which she wrote, quote, signing off Twitter, I hope I have been a light to my nearest and dearest. So really, really sad news. Got this story off of uh, Deadline.com. Did you see the pics recently released showing character designs for Avatar 2? Well, several media outlets, including Hollywood Reporter, took the bait from what was supposedly the Twitter account from the franchise's producer, John Landau. But there was a problem. It wasn't real. Not any of it. First off, the Twitter account is a fake Landau account that we hear the producer has been trying to get the social media uh, giant to take down. The account has been faking it for a while, complete with a photo of the producer. It's so fake, in fact, it even tweets referring to Landau in the third person, as in, you know, he did this, he did that, instead of I did this. Uh, secondly, the artwork the account posted was from the first movie in 2009. The third strike, it lists Landau as a producer of The Hurt Locker, from which he was not involved. And now some television news from RollingStone.com. The X-Files returning from its 13-year commercial break January 24th with a six-episode miniseries that finds Mulder and Scully back on the trail of extraterrestrial life with some old friends and recurring foes. Fox offered up another preview for the series with Mulder and Scully returning to a post Edward Snowden world where our every move, both physically and digitally, is under surveillance. 
In addition to David Duchovny's Mulder and Gillian Anderson's Scully, the trailer also shows the FBI duo reuniting with their longtime boss, Walter Skinner, the FBI assistant director, played by Mitch Pileggi. At trailer's end, there's also a glimpse of a half-smoked cigarette, a nod to the uh, series' most frequent nemesis, the smoking man. We have a small problem, the beloved villain warns unmistakable voice. The preview doesn't offer much in terms of clues about the plot, but there appears to be a flashback sequence where military men encounter something otherworldly. X-Files vets Agent Monica Reyes and the conspiracy theory happy hacker crew The Lone Gunmen will also return for the revival, as well as new cast members Joel McHale, Kamel Njani, who also hosts the X-Files Files podcast, and Lauren Ambrose. Series creator Chris Carter will write and direct the first episode with Darren Morgan, Glenn Morgan, and James Wong, the writing talents behind some of the series' favorite episodes, also contributing to the revival. From VineReport.com, BBC recently released their extensive trailer for BBC One's Autumn and Winter Offerings, and it looks really good. The trailer showcases footage from various shows, including very brief new footage from the much-awaited Sherlock special. Like in his previous interviews, show creator and executive producer Stephen Moffat did not reveal any exact time or date that excited fans can expect the much-anticipated Sherlock special. However, while no precise date was given now, fans can expect the special episode sometime around Christmas. It will be around that time of year, he said. I'm not being vague because I'm evil. I just don't know. It won't be Christmas Day because that's too crowded now, but it will be somewhere around that period. So it's... Sort of a Christmas special. We keep calling it the Christmas special, and there's a Christmassy element in it, but it's not really. You could put it in the middle of summer, and it would be fine. The new special episode will take the characters out of the modern-day series, back to its classic Victorian-era London setting, just like how it was told in the original stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Moffat also revealed that no script for Season 4 is finished as of this moment. Uh, Mark Gaddis will be starting very soon, he said. He may have started. I've got to finish my Doctor Who Christmas special, and then I'll be straight into Sherlock after that. We haven't started, but we've planned. We know what we're doing. I think we're shooting next year, April-ish. So there you go. <laughs> for those of you waiting for some Sherlock Holmes news, which is a great show, April-ish, they might start filming. From TheRap.com, another, actually a show I'm enjoying, AMC will launch an online companion series to Fear the Walking Dead titled Fear the Walking Dead Flight 462. This was announced just this past Monday. Debuting the same day as the main series finale uh, coming up on October 4th, Fear the Walking Dead Flight 462 follows a group of airplane passengers at the dawn of the outbreak. As the 16-episode spinoff of a spinoff unfolds, the group deals with the threat posed by an infected fellow passenger, with one of its characters slated to join the second season cast of Fear the Walking Dead. Here's a trick, though. Each installment will clock in at less than a minute in length, releasing each Sunday for the duration of the series. The debut episode will Will then air as promos during the Walking Dead Season 6 premiere on October 11th. The series is being written by El Signorino and Mike Zunick and directed by Fear the Walking Dead director of photography Michael McDonough. It's produced by Fear the Walking Dead showrunner and exec producer Dave Erickson and co-executive producer Dave Wiener. In August, AMC's stated plan was to air the story as a half-hour special. Quick look in the music with a story from MetalInjection.net. It's not exactly shocking that vinyl sales have greatly surpassed that of streaming revenues, giving the insane resurgence of the format, like my Empire of Evil Live at the Forum LP. But the numbers you're about to see might still be a little bit shocking. From January to June, half a year, ad-based streaming services brought in $162.7 million in revenue. This includes Spotify's free service, YouTube, Vivo, and pretty much every streaming service you can think of with ads on it. So what about vinyl and EP sales. 
Well, check this out. They've generated a collective $221.8 million, and that's just from January to June. This is a format that was thought of as dead. These numbers represent a 52% year-over-year increase for vinyl and EP sales, while streaming represents 27%, according to The Verge. RIAA Chairman and CEO Kerry Sherman had this to say about the numbers, according to a press release. The data continues to reflect the story of a business undergoing an enormous transition. There are many positive signs continuing the trend from 2014, wholesale revenues for the first half of 2015 increased, and revenues from streaming music services continue to grow at a healthy double-digit rate. The product of music and the extraordinary roster of artists represented by today's music labels remains in high demand. That is a bedrock of a successful future. At the same time, intense demand and billions of streams does not always equal fair market rates or a fair playing field. Addressing that is an essential element of fulfilling the enormous promise of today's digital marketplace. And that's the the argument we're hearing from a lot of artists, how little they get paid from streaming services compared to how much money these streaming services are pulling in. So that's going to be an issue that's going to be continuing for uh, as long as until it gets resolved. And, um, you know, the artists wanted a lot more favorable terms or want a lot more favorable terms than the streaming services want to provide. But there's going to be a middle ground, hopefully at some point where it benefits not only the artists and the services, but also the consumers. Metal ahead. Please exit now to avoid getting caught in the awesome. There you go. There's your off-wrap. If you came for entertainment news, it was good to see you, and we'll see you next week. However, if you want to stick around, it's time for our featured song of the week. This time around, we're celebrating Celebrity Sex Scandal with their song, 5 O'Clock. Celebrity Sex Scandal, which goes by CXXS, is an avant-garde metal band from San Antonio, Texas. It was started in 2011 by ex-dog fashion disco guitarist Greg Combs. After raising money through Kickstarter in late 2012, the band released their first debut album in February of 2013, entitled Derivative. In early 2014, Celebrity Sex Scandal announced their second album, Integral. During the recording process of Integral, the libertarian tree hugger and dog fashion disco alumni Jeff Siegel joined on keyboards as a studio member. Integral was finally released in April of 2015. I think it took after all was said and done over a year and like seven different musicians to get it done. And it finally was released again in April of 2015 with plans to begin writing their next album. Celebrity Sex Scandal continues to write genre-bending madness and you're going to be getting a sample of it right now. There's a lot going on in this song, so strap yourself in, let yourself experience the delicacy that is celebrity sex scandal this is five o'clock the featured song of the week on the small hours podcast
There you go, Celebrity Sex Scandal and 5 o'clock. Check them out online. Just do a search for Celebrity Sex Scandal and kind of swipe past all the uh, you know nudity and, and videos that I'm sure you're going to run into. And look for the info on a band from San Antonio, Texas. All right. I want to thank uh, Justin and everybody involved with Celebrity Sex Scandal for dropping the tune on us and allowing us to feature it right here. Hope you enjoyed it. Like we said right at the beginning, avant-garde metal. So there you go. If your band wants to be considered to be featured on the Small Hours Podcast, drop me a line. Email at gmail.com. That's smallhoursemail at gmail.com. And you never know, you could be listened to right here on the Small Hours Podcast with Al Gavada. You can always find us at thesmallhours.podbean.com. That's thesmallhours.podbean.com. And we hope to catch you here in the future. Have yourself a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Small Hours Podcast with Al Gavada. I'm Al Gavada, and we'll catch you next time.